Welcome to Interpod, a podcast by Interpride where the world comes together for the LGBTQIA community. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. Qatar will be hosting the World Cup next year, bringing in millions of attendees and viewers. But how does this impact the LGBTQIA community? Qatar has no legal LGBTQIA protections and is known for persecuting LGBTQIA people, despite leaders vowing that LGBTQIA travelers are welcomed and will be safe. Our speaker today is Dr. Naz Mohammed, who is an asylee from Qatar, living in the United States, and has launched a public campaign to bring awareness around the World Cup and LGBTQIA rights in Qatar. Before we get to the interview, here's global LGBTQIA news with Michael Lavers and the Washington Blade. This is Michael Lavers, and I'm the international news editor for the Washington Blade, America's LGBTQI news source. October 2nd was the first round of Brazil's presidential election. Former President Luiz Ignacio Lula da Silva won with 48.4% of the vote. Incumbent President Jair Bolsonaro finished second with 43.2%. They will face off in a runoff on October 30th because neither man received at least 50% of the vote. Bolsonaro, a former Brazilian army captain who was a member of the right-wing Liberal Party, represented Rio de Janeiro, in the Brazilian Congress from 1991 until he took office in 2018. Da Silva, who was a member of the leftist Workers' Party, was Brazil's president from 2003 through 2010. Bolsonaro has faced sharp criticism over his rhetoric against LGBTQI Brazilians, women, people of African and indigenous descent, and other groups. Bolsonaro, among other things, has stressed his support of traditional family values and his opposition to gender ideology. Bolsonaro has claimed people who are vaccinated against COVID-19 are at increased risk for AIDS. Bolsonaro has also sought to discredit Brazil's electoral system and has said he will not accept the election results if he does not win re-election. In addition to the presidential election, two transgender women on October 2nd won election to the Brazilian Congress. Sao Paulo Municipal Councilwoman Erika Hilton, a black travesti and former sex worker who is a member of the leftist Socialism and Liberty Party, will represent Sao Paulo in Brasilia. Voters in Minas Gerais State elected Belo Horizonte Municipal Councilwoman Duda Salabert, who is a member of the leftist Democratic Labor Party. Hilton and Salabert are two of the 18 openly LGBTQI candidates who won their respective races on October 2nd. In other news, the 2022 World Cup will begin in Qatar on November 20th. Qatar is among the handful of countries in which consensual same-sex sexual relations remain punishable by death. A senior Qatari official earlier this year said authorities may seize pride flags from fans at World Cup matches. Dario Minden, on September 19th, asked Qatar's ambassador to Germany Abdullah bin Mohammed bin Saud Al Thani during a German Football Association human rights conference in Frankfurt to abolish the death penalty for homosexuality in the country. This is Michael Labors. Please visit us at WashingtonBlade.com if you would like to get more news about LGBTQI rights around the world. My name is Dr. Nas Mohammed. Uh, my pronouns are he, him, his, uh, they, them, theirs. I'm non-binary, I'm gay. Um, I'm a physician living in San Francisco, California. This year, I, I came out very publicly on BBC News, English and Arabic, 
I like to just um, go back and give a little bit of background about where I grew up and how it was like for me to be an LGBT person in the Middle East. So I was born and raised in, in Qatar. I only spoke Arabic until I was in middle school slash high school. Grew up in a very conservative society. There was absolutely no LGBT visibility around me. And I did not have access to the internet or any Western media growing up. I realized I had same-sex attraction when I was a young teen. And I just didn't know what that meant. I couldn't talk about it. We generally don't talk about sex and we don't talk about anything related to it, really, not even in heterosexual setting. And, you know, I had an arranged marriage um, planned for me. When I was in high school, I started hearing stories from the community about what happens to people that step out of line and try to meet other boys, basically. It was, I went to all, all boys school uh, education. Our educational system was and continues for the most part be uh, segregated. So I heard about people going on online chat rooms and then being catfished by undercover cops. Some of them got arrested, some that were not Qatari citizens, which is the majority of people living in Qatar actually, would just be thrown out of the country. They would be deported. So I started getting really afraid about like trying to even approach that topic. And I was very avoidant myself. So it was never something that I addressed like heads on uh, growing up. Then I went to medical school and I used medical school as my ticket to push um, the arranged marriage with my family. Um, and then when I was a third year medical student is when I really like, I think had my big identity crisis moment just accepting and realizing that I'm gay and then just a life crisis moment because I, was, I also realized that home is not safe. Then in 2015, I had to face the fact that I need to make a permanent decision. And I was done with my training. So I decided to take political asylum here because I didn't feel safe going home. And that's when I called my family and came out to them. I told them, you know, that I'm never coming back home. And this is why that conversation did not go well. So my relationship with my family pretty much ended. This year, I took a different stage. The thing that prompted me to act up this year is a big sports washing mm -hmm. event that's happening in my country, in Qatar. Could you tell us about, you know, what you know in terms of the state of, of LGBTQIA+, plus people in Qatar? Well, what I know, there was, I knew some things before, but after I came out on BBC News, I got so many people reach out to me and I'm actually now the key person arranging anonymous interviews between the LGBT community in Qatar and researchers at the Human Rights Watch to write country conditions reports because nobody has, because that such a thing doesn't exist and people don't know what's going on. And we never had an out LGBT person before from Qatar. So I'm now working with the Human Rights Watch to write these reports. And the things that happened to Qatar, to in Qatar to Qataris range from what's expected in terms of social rejection and non-acceptance and intolerance to pretty severe persecution 
and violent physical and mental abuse. And a lot of these stories are untold and a lot of people are kept isolated with what happens to them in shame. We have very tribal community and society structure. So when something happens to a person, their entire family are involved with it. So being an LGBT person kind of brings shame to the entire tribe, if you wish, if they come out with it. So it becomes this big burden and secret that the entire family hides out of shame. And when they hide their LGBT family member, they also hide all the ways that they've been persecuted in the shadows. And these stories remain untold because nobody wants to be a public target of societal hate. And this is one of the many obstacles uh, behind the reason why we don't have public reports on what happens to the LGBT people in Qatar. I learned since coming out that there are state-sponsored conversion therapy practices in Qatar. They get referrals to their programs from families, the society. They show up during the mand mandatory military service and take people in from, from there to conversion therapy. They get referred to conversion therapy from a sect of the law enforcement that reports to the Ministry of Interior in Qatar. They're called the Preventive Security Department. In a way, they act like what the morality police would be in other countries. So these guys go and they go undercover hunting LGBT people in Qatar, basically. They, first of all, they don't report, they don't have the same reporting requirements as the regular police in Qatar because they are considered at the level of national security. So what they do is they have people go undercover on dating sites. They set up fake dates um, with other men and trans women and arrest them and take them in. And some of the things they do are so shocking. Um, so they have a place in Qatar where they have a tower and they have underground solitary confinement cells and they keep people there for weeks to months. They're physically beaten, they're tortured, trans women get their heads shaved, there's forced genital inspections. And then they call in the people from the DAM which is the name of the program that does conversion therapy. And they started there and then people are ordered to continue the program after they leave. And then they're also threatened with physical violence um, in retaliation if these stories are made public by them to anybody and they threaten them and their families um, with this violence. So now um, I have enough survivors testify to me to put this out and speak about it. And almost at the reporting threshold with the Human Rights Watch from the one-on-one -on -one interviews to write a report and put it out. But there is truly no help for us. Like when I look at LGBT organizations, the Middle East in general is significantly underserved in terms of LGBT advocacy. Um, like I learned that Russia Yunus at the Human Rights Watch is the one person that's working on this for the entire Middle East, that's North Africa, the Gulf region, 
and Iraq, Lebanon, Jordan, there is like one researcher at the Human Rights Watch covering all LGBT issues for that entire region. There are just no, not enough resources dedicated to it. That's a great segue to turn our attention to the World Cup, on, in which the, the country, the government at least, is assuring folks um, around the world that LGBTQIA plus visitors will be welcome at this tournament. What are your thoughts? This is exactly the thing that we need to be talking about. So Qatar cares so much about their PR and they would be willing actually to extend a lot of privileges to everybody for the sake of business and PR and connections while not extending the same courtesy to us at home. And it is shockingly striking to see that our voices are lacking in this debate. Only Qatari officials are allowed to speak up. None of the citizens can come up and speak on the issue. And who on any in any like segment or any topic has 100% satisfaction rate on anything, right? With no like other point of view. And Qatar projects that right now because Having the other point of view expressed is a cyber crime and by law. So citizens cannot actually go out and express an opposing view to what the regime wants in Qatar um, and the dictatorship without getting in trouble on any topic in general, let alone LGBT rights. And when they say we are going to let, like get everybody is welcome and they always add the qualifier, but you have to respect our tradition when, whenever they make that statement, the, that kind of like gives them the wiggle room to, you know, get away of any incidents that may happen when fans do actually show up um, at the World Cup. And I have a couple of thoughts about that. One, it isolate, isolates us even more, right? So because they want to con maintain control over us. So when they say, we will give you the rights that you want, but that's it, stay there and keep us at home without anybody advocating for us. So it is in a way isolating us. The other thought I have is I disagree with them actually. Um, I agree that they don't have the resources to go hunting LGBT people during the tournament, but in that bubble, people don't even understand what being an LGBT person is. People get persecuted, honestly, and gay bashed if they have different gender expressions. So how are they? I don't know how they're going to um, protect these fans when they go in. Yes, they're not going to go attack them because they are really worried about their PR and they don't have resources right now during the competition to do this. But they're also not going to go out of their way to protect them. And then that how that's how that's their ticket out. Then they would say that person didn't respect their tradition and culture. The qualifier, the, the vague qualifier they add to that statement. So let's talk about the who produced the World Cup, FIFA, and they also have their own statements, even you know, policies that they won't hold contracts of any hotel in Qatar that does not allow same-sex couples to stay. What do you think? Well, that happened after like Norway did the investigation, right? Like when they were calling different hotels um, to book a room as a same as same sex couples and three of them refused to book them. And then after that, 
there was an investigation and then FIFA came out and said, oh, we're gonna do this. Um, the thing about FIFA is that they're really, they're really not making the statements they need to be making. What FIFA needs to do right now is advocate for LGBT rights like they do everywhere. And they are not doing that right now. And this is the whole, like my international petition, love is not a crime, is targeted towards FIFA. I'm asking them to hold the human rights values that they preach everywhere else in the world when they're in Qatar. Because people like me exist in Qatar and they are oppressed. And when they come in with their massive platform and divide the international LGBT community from the local community, they're causing harm. They're really isolating us a lot and cutting resources away. And it was really striking to me too that there are no LGBT organizations in that region right now, um, in the Gulf region. So there, there is no voice, there is no local voice on the table when they're having these conversations, no local LGBT voice from the region. Let's get to the heart of your campaign and what you want out of it, especially for LGBTQIA plus organizers like pride organizers who have made a difference in our movement in certain parts of the world. Yeah. So I'll tell you something. I'll tell you what I, if you ask me, like this has been such an intense journey. Um, if you ask me what I wanted, before coming out and then every month as like my objective, you would have had like a different answer because I've been learning a lot more and been meeting a lot of people, a lot of organizations and having different conversations. Initially in my own journey, when I came here afraid, filed for asylum and was going through the process, I was, gaslit a little bit about how severe our persecution is in Qatar. And, and that was because there are no public reports of what happens to, to the LGBT community in Qatar. It's really lacking. So I had to make an argument on my own and with the legal team to defend my asylum case and my claim and the fact that we're truly not okay at home. In my particular case, I ended. I lived in San Francisco. My representative here is Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi, and I ended up actually getting um, the Congress involved with my own case, and it got approved. But it was a push. It was a battle for me to to get my asylum approved. So this year is the first year we're having a global conversation about LGBT rights and Qatar. And I found it really dangerous for the narrative to be the false PR and marketing of gay fans or LGBT fans are welcome without an accurate reflection of what actually happens. I worry that it will challenge our claim for asylum without proper advocacy. So initially I was gonna come out put some evidence out in the media and then reach out to Amnesty International and the Human Rights Watch and work on getting some sort of prelim country conditions reports, which I learned now 
to get a country condition report out, it's a really long process. They need to interview individuals over a long period of time. They need to establish evidence. And it just takes time. And there's nobody that's been doing this. But I wanted in the interim not to lock people in that are unsafe, that are trying to escape due to the false PR and marketing about FIFA when they try to escape Qatar after this year. But then as I got to learn about more and more cases and as I got connected to different LGBT organizations and human rights organizations, I am now wanting to start the first LGBT organization, um, nonprofit organization for the Gulf region and anchor all the interest, the connections and the knowledge that I have now in an organization with a mission so that it can continue to build on the research and advocacy work for the LGBT community there beyond this year and be there to defend them at moments like this moment where a local voice is needed. Last question for you, um, for those who want to get involved, uh, want to know more, how can they do that? Right now, following my socials is probably the best way to know what I'm doing because I have a lot of journalists on it. I have some people from the LGBT community in Qatar on it. So when I want to communicate to everybody, I, I'm doing it on my socials right at this moment. But I'm hoping that by the end of the year, I'm going to have the nonprofit up and running. And that would be then the main source for advocacy for the LGBT community in that region. But for the campaign around the World Cup specifically, I would be doing a lot of my social media to bring awareness and share our stories and represent our voices um, in a public way so that so that you know the sport so that even though the sporting event is taking place in Qatar, I'm hoping that the sports washing aspect and reputation laundering is not completely successful. I'm hoping that I would at least bring awareness this year instead of having them successfully cover up what they do to us. Thank you, Dr. Naz Mohammed, and thank you to all of you for joining us for Interpod. If you have an idea or would like to submit your own stories, please let us know. We would love to hear from you. You can head to interpride.org, and from there, you can also listen to all past episodes. I'm Michelle Miao, host of Interpod, a podcast by Interpride where the world comes together for the LGBTQIA community. 